Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll talk with the Executive Director of Disability Rights Ohio. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS10TV, Lindsay Mills has an update with a local infectious disease specialist on new COVID strains and vaccines. A look at civil rights in the 60 years since Reverend Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech and Ohio's sports betting revenue and where it goes. And I'll wrap up the hour talking with someone from an affiliate of AARP about the importance of older Ohioans keeping up with basic technology that can keep them in the loop when natural disasters or other emergencies occur. First up on Columbus Perspective, on the phone with me, Shirsten Schoberg, who is the Executive Director of Disability Rights Ohio. How are you? I'm doing great today, Dave. Thank you. Thanks for talking to us. Uh, Tell us what uh, Disability Rights Ohio is. The Disability Rights Ohio is a nonprofit, um, but we are also the state designated protection and advocacy system and the client assistance program, both of which are federally funded programs to provide advocacy services to people with disabilities. Okay, and we'll get into that a little bit more in a couple of minutes, but I did want to mention first, you've got a fundraiser coming up on Wednesday, September 13th, called uh, it's your third annual Duck Derby. That's right. We're excited to be doing this. We started it in 2020, back when it was a little bit challenging to do fundraisers, and it was a great way to have something that was partly outside and um, mostly virtual for our supporters, and we're excited to be having our third year today, or this year, I mean. What is this exactly? Where does it happen, and and how do people get involved? Sure. So, um, as you said, it's on September 13th, and it'll happen around 4.30 p.m., and it's going to happen on the Muskingum River in Marietta, Ohio. And basically what it is is, you know, we're going to have up to a 1,000 little duckies racing down the river. The first three to pass the finish line will win one of the prizes that we have. The way that folks can participate is to sponsor a duck. You can sponsor as many ducks as you want until we reach our limit of 1,000 ducks total, and it's $5 for each duck. Um, You can also get involved if you want some of our fun duck derby merchandise that we have this year. Um, We have T-shirts. We have a coffee mug. We have a derby tote bag. Those are all available on our website. Um, And, again, if you do sponsor a duck, there, there are prizes, so... Our first place prize, the first duck to cross the finish line, um, their sponsor will get $500. Uh, the second place is a $100 and one of the Duck Derby t-shirts. And the third place is a Duck Derby tote bag and coffee mug. And part of the reason that we can offer prizes like this is because we have an amazing sponsor this year called OPOC.US, uh, a one-point-of-care organization that helps businesses provide human resources and other uh, services to uh, help them thrive in, in the workplace. So we're excited to do that. Um, we're also excited to be uh, partnering for the third year with the local Marietta High School crew team and their coach, Tanner O'Connor. They're the ones that actually take the ducks out on the river for us and their crew team boats, drop the ducks off at the beginning of the race, pick up the three winners at the finish line, and then make sure and collect all the rest of them before they race all the way down to the Ohio River. We don't want any ducks getting <laughs> it's it's uh, interesting because when I saw Muskingum River at first, I was thinking Zanesville, and I thought, well, wait a minute. These things are not going to get down to the Ohio River in timely fashion. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's so, right. So it's in Marietta. And again, what about uh, how folks can register? Uh, they do it on online or what? Yeah, all 
the information is on our website, disabilityrightsohio.org, and the Duck Derby page is um, that same website and then slash duck hyphen derby. But actually, if you go to the Wayne website right now, you'll see right on the front page a button about the duck derby so you can get there. It's super easy to find. We also um, are putting information out on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts about it. You can find us on social media as well to get information about it. It's, it's really pretty easy to, to look it up, um, and you can just online uh, sign up to sponsor one, two, three, five, ten, however many ducks you might want to sponsor, purchase any merchandise you would like to purchase. Um, it's all um, uh, very simple and easy to use on our website. Talking with Shirsten Schoberg, she's the Executive Director of Disability Rights Ohio. Your organization, it's just such a hugely important mission that you have uh, with folks that so often get left behind. That's right. So our mission is to advocate for an equitable Ohio for people with disabilities. And as you said, many times um, individuals with disabilities, um, their voices are ignored. They can find themselves isolated in segregated settings. They may not get access to services. They may not be able to get out and about in the community because of barriers with things like transportation or even just our sidewalks, right, just basic things like that. Um, and so, you know, our vision is to work towards a world where voices will be elevated, people will be powered, and we'll have equity achieved. And we do that through a, a wide range of advocacy uh, work across a wide range of teams. We're fortunate to have federal funding that covers a wide range of issues as well, everything from um, helping people with accessing job training to go back to work and addressing those other barriers to employment like transportation. We do a lot of work around helping people access home and community-based services so they can stay independent in their home and live their lives the way they would like to. Um, we help a lot of students and families with the uh, education system that can be very complex for students with disabilities. And we're particularly fortunate in Central Ohio because we have a couple of private grants that allow us to have a dedicated attorney for the Central Ohio area to help students and families uh, navigate that, that system in primary and secondary education. We also have uh, advocates that go out to places where people with disabilities are, uh, places like nursing homes, psychiatric hospitals, even jails and prisons, and can monitor sort of like what's happening, find out if people with disabilities have concerns about their care or treatment, investigate allegations of abuse and neglect. And that actually is kind of one of the core functions of a protection advocacy system. Why we exist in the first place was because concerns that there needed to be a completely independent from the state kind of third party advocate that people with disabilities could always have that access to um, if they had concerns um, about their care or treatment. Now, on the day that we record this, September 1st, there's a, an item in the news today about the Biden administration requiring nursing homes to comply with higher staffing uh, rules. What, what is your take on that? So certainly um, higher levels of staffing would be an asset for individuals to get better care in nursing facilities. We definitely hear complaints when we go out about, you know, the time it takes to get something you need, you know, whether it's bathing or 
just getting out of your bed to be able to go and do something. So staffing levels can be critical. We also see that one of the problems with, with maintaining staffing levels for places that want to has been wages, right? So the wages for direct care workers have been very, very low for a long time. It's particularly uh, bad, actually, in the home and community-based system, but it is, has affected places like nursing homes as well. And we were really excited this last uh, state budget process where um, the state increased uh, rates in order to increase the wages of direct care workers up to a starting of at least $17 an hour in 2024 and $18 an hour in 2025. And that's compared to about an average wage of 12 to $13 an hour that it has been. So that is huge progress and we're really excited to see if that will improve the level of care that people are getting in any setting that they are receiving that care and treatment. Nursing homes are, uh, boy, they're, they're, they're such uh, complicated places and, you know, I, I've known people that work in them and, and just even issues like if a patient falls, the amount of paperwork that that nurse, she may end up or he may end up staying a couple hours after their shift to fill out paperwork because of something like that. And as you mentioned, you know, they're low on staff as it is anyway, especially since the pandemic. So this this has to be uh, really good news. Yeah, I hope it will turn into a positive thing. I hope that that in Ohio combined, you know, that federal standard combined with the rate increases in Ohio, I hope will come together to actually produce some really good quality outcomes. Another thing Ohio has done is they recently had a nursing home task force to look at the quality of care in nursing homes, and I believe that report is out. We were not directly involved in that. We had we provided a little bit of support uh, to one of the advocates that was on that uh, nursing home task force, Jennifer Kuchera. Um, she wanted to make sure that people with disabilities, particularly those in nursing homes, could provide their input during the public input process. So we kind of worked with her and some other state agencies to make sure a virtual event like that occurred. Um, but that that it's just great to see that um, Ohio is taking steps to try to make the care that people with disabilities get in whatever setting they're in is improved by making investments in rates and investments in quality, quality standards um, in places like nursing homes. Talking with Shearston Schoberg, she's the executive director of Disability Rights Ohio. The pandemic, because of the way it shifted to a lot of work from home uh, activities and, and just put a focus on living in the home, has that in its own way helped the disabled? It has certainly opened up more opportunities for flexible work arrangements for people with disabilities that I'm hoping will uh, continue and uh, and help us kind of really address the continuing um, low employment rate of people with disabilities. You know, the Americans with Disabilities Act has been around since 1990, but we still see incredibly low rates of employment compared to people without disabilities, and some of that is the uh, in the workplace itself, right? Maybe not being as flexible, um, the difficulty in getting accommodations. Some of it are more entrenched systemic barriers like the fact that in order to get some of those home and community-based services long-term, you pretty much have to be able to get Medicaid because private insurance doesn't provide that type of long-term personal care assistance support. Um, even Medicare has limits on what it will provide in that area. And, and, and in order to have Medicaid, you frequently can't 
work and earn very much, right? There are some things like Medicaid buy-in that Ohio has um, that does allow people to work, but a lot of people don't know about it. And so it, it, it kind of inhibits individuals in many ways that may want to uh, have a full career, limit themselves to jobs that maybe pay less because they're worried about losing benefits and other services. So there's lots of factors, but I think work from home options are certainly going to help open up more opportunities for people with disabilities who want to be uh, working and, and pursuing their chosen career options. And, and at the same time with that, uh, then there, I would suppose, would come the fear if more are able to work from home of losing focus of accessibility in, in public spaces. You know, that's an interesting thing that I had not considered. Um, I I would hope that wouldn't happen, you know, just because you're working from home doesn't mean you want to, don't want to go out and about in your community. And many of the places that, that, that we hear about that have problems with accessibility tend to be um, more of those businesses we use for day-to-day activities or recreational activities. Um, workplaces themselves may have some accessibility concerns, but a lot of the calls we get are going to be more about, you know, restaurants and parking lots and, you know, parking spaces, sidewalks. Um, just general businesses, you know, older buildings, things like that that present barriers to accessibility. Uh, uh, so I would hope that that would not change because we still, you know, I work a lot from home, but I still go out and about and enjoy my community, and people with disabilities want to do the same thing. Talking with Shirsten Schoberg from Disability Rights Ohio. So from more of a local level, do you have uh, regional offices around Ohio? And, and how do individuals, do they come into contact with their agency? So we um, do not have more than one actual office, but we do have some employees that live in other places in Ohio, partly because we have embraced the flexible work options of letting people work from home and then travel to do what is necessary for their job. So a lot of our, a lot of our um, staff are going to places like nursing homes, um, psychiatric hospitals, uh, ICFs, which are places for people with developmental disabilities, and meeting people with disabilities there. They go to community events. They're, you know, interacting with community leaders and groups, uh, school districts, other partners. So they're getting out in the community that way. And then, of course, there's all the virtual ways that we all are connecting these days as well. Um, and then we uh, try to get out to the community through things like our social media, right? We realize that people get a lot of their own information through things like Facebook or Twitter, trying to be more active on Instagram, um, and talking to individuals like yourself, right? Trying to raise awareness that we're here and anyone in Ohio can contact us. We're not limited to Columbus. We are completely a statewide organization. Almost all of our grants are statewide grants. We only have a few that are sort of centrally focused or focused in certain areas of the state, but the vast majority of our work is statewide. People can reach out to us by phone, on our website. So we really try to be as accessible as we can to any Ohioan with a disability that wants to reach out and see if what they're calling about is something that we can help with. And before we wrap up with uh, talking quickly again about the fundraiser coming up, what would you say is the most pressing or the big issue that your agency's working on right now? Well, um, I would have said a few months ago the direct care workforce with the state budget work. Um, I want That hasn't really, wouldn't have ended, but we've achieved in a major milestone with the budget wrap-up. Now as we're heading into um, more elections with the election in the fall um, in Ohio, which will actually have some things that are important on the ballot 
even if it's not like a presidential election. And of course, next year will be a presidential election. We're going to be ramping up some of our voting work. So that's going to be an area of focus for us. We're actually going to have some new voting educational videos in the fall. So stay tuned for that. And um, we're also, with the school year starting, getting a lot of calls um, from students and families about issues that they may be facing as the school year begins um, with getting what they need for their students. And we're also excited um, about positive things that are happening as the school year for higher education starts because uh, there's new additional assistance available for students with disabilities that want help paying for tuition and other expenses. They can apply for help from opportunities for Ohioans with disabilities, which is Ohio State Vocational Rehabilitation Agency, and get potentially up to $7,000 in financial assistance to go to school this fall semester. So folks haven't heard about or, or done that yet, encourage them to take advantage of that. And that is an area, you know, that we have been trying to get the word out about and supporting students that might uh, need information about how to go through that process. So those are just some, some issues that I think will be uh, a focus for the next couple of months for us. That's great. Uh, and again, the fundraiser, the third annual Duck Derby on uh, Wednesday, September 13th. Give us uh, again the particulars about that, Shearston. Absolutely. So it will be on the Muskingum River in Marietta, Ohio. Ducks racing down the river with the help of the local Marietta crew team. You can sponsor a duck for $5. All the information is on our website, disabilityrightsohio.org. Uh, slash duck hyphen derby. We're really excited to have this third one. If, if you want to participate from home after you sponsor the duck, uh, we will have a Facebook live stream and it, the event will happen around 4.30. I say around 4.30 because it is dependent on the crew team getting there, getting things set up. So there's never an exact start time, but we'll be putting information out on, on Facebook about the live stream and, and how to get signed up if you want to kind of watch your duck go down the river um, and we're just really appreciative to the support we've gotten from the community to do this and in particular our board president Bill Bauer who's from Marietta Ohio this was his idea he's the one that had the connections to the crew team and and uh, got the ducks for us and just just has been an amazing uh, supporter of having this event happen every year Excellent. Shearston Schoberg, she's the Executive Director of Disability Rights Ohio. Thanks so much for the information and your time today, Shearston. Thank you. In honor of all those we've lost to cancer and those still fighting and thriving, like basketball analyst and cancer champion Dick Vitale. I want to beat cancer. I'm going to beat it. That's no doubt in my mind. I'm going to win this battle. Defeating cancer will take all of us. Join our team to help fund game-changing research that saves lives. At the V Foundation, V is for victory over cancer. V is for victory over the odds. V is for victory over health disparities. Victory over setbacks. Victory over the unknown. V is for victory over giving up. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Donate to the V Foundation to join our team and help save lives. Cancer can take away all my physical abilities. It cannot touch my mind, it cannot touch my heart, and it cannot touch my soul. 100% of donations fund game-changing cancer research. Donate now to the V Foundation at V.org. Verify here with your fast fact. Around one in two Americans are expected to get the flu vaccine this fall, and many people are searching on Google to ask if there's a new flu vaccine available now. So let's verify using these sources. 
All flu vaccines are quadrivalent, which means they protect against four strains of influenza. The CDC says three of the strains were used in past vaccines, and one is updated to try and match the type of flu that researchers expect to see this year. So, yes, there is a new vaccine currently available, but that doesn't mean you should get vaccinated today. The CDC recommends waiting until September or October, which is closer to the peak of flu season. With your Fast Fact, I'm Brandon Lewis. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. This week on Face the State, the COVID resurgence, a rise in cases as the school year begins. We'll talk with two key health officials about the numbers, the new boosters, and their concerns for fall. The Republican showdown, eight presidential candidates squaring off for the first time, former President Trump not among them. I think it it showed tonight in that, uh, you know, inexperience and his uh, inability to bring people together uh, to solve problems for our country. I'm the most qualified, the most tested, the most proven conservative in this race. We're just getting warmed up and, and I'm really thrilled with how it went. The topic of abortion coming up several times where Ohio's vote stands this morning. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Lindsay Mills from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. and welcome to Face the State. This morning, we're looking into the health concerns on the horizon as school starts and the triple threat of illness becomes very real. As we come on the air this morning, COVID cases continue to rise, not only in Ohio, but around the country. Scientists have nicknamed this latest strand Eris. It's a descendant from the Omicron variant we've talked so much about. As of August 10th, more than 17% of COVID cases are of the new variant. And this morning, I'm joined by Dr. Joe Gastaldo, an infectious disease specialist at Ohio Health. We've spoken many times over the course of this pandemic. Dr. Gastaldo, thanks so much for joining me this morning. First up, can you tell us about this new variant? Yeah, so what we're hearing about in the news now is a new variant still within the Omicron family variant, specifically XBB. Uh, it is EG.5, and this variant, like other variants before it, is more transmissible. Fortunately, this variant is not associated thus far with a higher severity of illness, and the immunity we have either from uh, vaccinations or a previous infection looks like it is still protecting against severe disease. The good news is that uh, the new uh, expected COVID booster that's uh, supposedly going to be out late September, early October, uh, will be uh, very active against this variant since this uh, new booster is XBB and uh, EG.5 is a XBB variant. Now, on the horizon, that is uh, probably more concerning is a, a, a new type of variant that is now being watched closely, BA286. Uh, is you're hearing a lot of, a little bit more in the news. It also has a nickname too. Uh, that's a variant that we believe thus far uh, may have the potential to evade some immunity from the vaccine that's coming out. So again, the, this uh, COVID-19, SARS coronavirus 2, this virus is not going away. We will have further mutations. And I really think it highlights the importance of us getting back to basics and remember the tools that we have today. Because it's not that uh, we're going to have the same type of surge like Omicron, but we still have to be cognizant of, of the common practices that uh, we've been having with COVID-19. And Dr. Gasaldo, you mentioned the vaccine booster that's coming out this fall. What if you have fallen behind on the schedule 
total of recommended COVID-19 vaccines can you pick up somewhere? Yeah, absolutely. Getting this new booster uh, is really going to be available for people who have had not their previous boosters. Now, we still have to wait for the final recommendations of the CDC's vaccine committee on who should get this new booster. It could be that this new booster is recommended for those above a certain age or medical conditions. We don't know yet, but we'll have clarity on that by the time this new vaccine becomes available. And Dr. Gastaldo, what concerns you about the timing of this new variant? Uh, We have kids back in school, teachers back. We have a lot of people returning to the office who were working remotely. What concerns you most about this new variant? You know, I think the new variant is more transmissible and uh, people probably have lower antibody titers from not having COVID recently or not having a, a recent vaccine. So likely, and as the numbers you just mentioned, we are going to see more COVID because people are indoors more. We have hot weather uh, and people are back to school. So that does create an environment for people to get infection with SARS coronavirus too. I, I think what I really want to state is that uh, we are in a much different state today than when this pandemic uh, was here. We have people with various layers of protection from immunity, previous infections, the previous vaccines, and we have the tools to really protect those at need. You know, the public health emergency did end this past May, and for 7 to 8% of the population, specifically those who are immunocompromised, this virus is still a threat. So we really need to be cognizant of those who have other health conditions and who are immunocompromised. Are masks effective, and do you still recommend people wear them to stay safe, especially if maybe you've been diagnosed with COVID-19? Absolutely. When we talk about wearing masks, what we're really specifically talking about is a high-quality mask, whether it be a properly fitting surgical mask or an N95 or a KN95. And like I said before, when it comes to getting back to basics, we really would ask people to follow the CDC guidelines on mask wearing when they've had COVID-19 or have had a higher risk. So, for example, if somebody does have COVID-19 from days one to five, they should stay isolated at home. But on day six, if they have no fever and they feeling better, they can leave the home, but we really want those people, and it's recommended for those people, to wear a mask days 6 through 10. Uh, with all the COVID that's happening out there, I really don't see that many people uh, wearing masks in public. And again, uh, it's really on protecting those most vulnerable in my family, your family, and in the community. Dr. Joe Gastaldo, Infectious Disease Specialist at Ohio Health, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Thank you, Lindsay. 10TV is committed to keeping your family safe with factual information and dispelling myths about COVID-19 and the vaccine. Keep it here as we head into fall. To the election and the first time we've seen the Republican challengers against President Joe Biden on stage together. The top eight candidates spent two hours debating on topics like the economy, the border and abortion. The front runner of the Republican Party was noticeably absent from the stage. Donald Trump instead appeared with fired Fox News host Tucker Carlson for an online only 45 minute interview. 24 hours later, he was booked into the Fulton County Jail for trying to block the 20 2020 election. With the key takeaways of the debate, we turn to CBS News political correspondent Natalie Brand. A day after meeting on stage, GOP presidential hopefuls are trying to build on their momentum following debate night. We've got real issues that need real solutions. There's a lot of people up there that said a lot of things. I'm the only one that's actually delivered on all these issues. I'm going to stand up and tell the truth about where our country needs to go and about how Donald Trump has failed us. The eight candidates on stage sparred over several issues. Is climate change real? Yes, it is. The climate change agenda is a hoax. 
hoax. The climate change agenda is a hoax. Most of the attacks were aimed at 38-year-old entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, whose views highlighted divisions within the Republican Party. I don't fault them for their frustrations. There is a newcomer that threatened, that, that surpassed them significantly, and they weren't expecting that. Notably absent Wednesday night, former President Donald Trump, who declined to debate. The interest level is really high, even without Trump. Aaron Call, director of debate at the University of Michigan, spoke to us no from Milwaukee. Totally, no one totally separated themselves, and I'm not sure it'll uh, impact the race in a big way uh, in relation to the absent frontrunner Trump. Where do the campaigns go from here? Uh, debates can often serve as a springboard to to positive momentum, their own media cycles, the raising of money, which you know keeps campaigns viable. Call points out the new cycle on this day following the debate will be dominated by Trump surrendering on charges in Georgia of conspiring to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Natalie Brand, CBS News, the White House. Ohio Republicans were swift to react to the performance of their party. One of former President Trump's biggest supporters, Senator J.D. Vance, does not believe the eight candidates who debated will win the nomination. He tweeted that Republicans should end their campaigns and, quote, stop wasting money attacking our inevitable nominee. In several polls, former President Trump still leads the Republicans in Ohio. The most recent polls were conducted ahead of his fourth indictment. However, he's still far ahead of the other presidential hopefuls. And back to the topic of abortion. It was discussed early on in the debate. It's a hot topic as Ohio voters this November will see that question. And Republicans appeared split on whether the Supreme Court made the right decision when it overturned Roe versus Wade. We need to stop demonizing this issue. This is talking about the fact that unelected justices didn't need to decide something this personal because it's personal for every woman and man. Now it's been put in the hands of the people. That's great. When it comes to a federal ban, let's be honest with the American people and say it will take 60 Senate votes. It will take a majority of the House. So in order to do that, let's find consensus. But I am on the record and I stand behind that we should not have a federal abortion ban. Ohio will vote on abortion November 6th, and because of the defeat of issue one, it has a higher chance of passing. Only a simple majority is needed for the amendment to pass. Abortion is legal until 22 weeks of pregnancy in Ohio. After the Supreme Court decision, a law banning abortion at six weeks took effect, but a state judge later blocked it. Face the State host Tracy Townsend spoke with 10TV political expert Dr. David Nevlin about the issue of abortion and how the legislature will move forward following the rejection of issue one. Strategically, the move would be compromise. You know, take the abortion ban in Ohio and move to something more moderate and try and undercut the enthusiasm for the November ballot question. But Governor DeWine has already said that's not the approach he's going to take. Mm -hmm. And we haven't seen any movement from the legislature towards saying, you know what, this might be our ideal point, but the ideal point of the average voters over here. So we better move policy a little bit closer. Ohio voters will have the opportunity to see the entire text of the proposed abortion amendment. In a letter sent to the Secretary of State's office, supporters petitioned for the ballot board to use the full text so voters read all of it on Election Day. The ballot board approved the ask. Opponents' objections is language developed by Republican Secretary of State Frank LaRose, an abortion opponent, amid warnings the language could face a legal challenge even before the proposal goes before Ohio voters in November. Among the new language, the word fetus in the Democrats' proposal was changed to unborn child in the ballot measure.
You may remember the state's Republican Attorney General Dave Yo certified the group's original wording as fair and accurate, and that 700,000 Ohioans read it when they signed petitions to get the measure on the fall ballot. The Ohio Attorney General's Office has rejected a petition summary of a proposed state constitutional amendment. The amendment would have modified the redistricting process. The office says the summary language wasn't clear or accurate enough. Last year, the Ohio Supreme Court rejected three sets of district maps ahead of the May primary. Still ahead on Face the State, it's a new world for the Ohio sports world. We'll take a dive into how sports betting is going for Ohio and when it comes to the revenue, where the money is going. The new top Buckeye, Ohio State names its 17th president. What he said about increasing diversity at the school and his background fitting for a movie. Last month, the federal government started accepting applications for the Saving on a Valuable Education or SAVE plan to make student loan payments more affordable. The SAFE plan uses your monthly income and family size to calculate your monthly payment. It can even forgive a portion of the debt in some cases, but there's some confusion about what this means for interest on the loan. One Verify viewer emailed us to ask if the SAFE plan completely stops interest from accruing. So let's verify. Our sources are the U.S. Department of Education, the National Consumer Law Center, the White House, and the National Association of Student Financial Aid Administrators. If your application for the SAVE plan is accepted, then your monthly payment is adjusted, usually reducing what you owe. But since you're paying less each month, the Education Department will actually waive any unpaid interest, helping borrowers avoid compounding debt. For example, if $50 in interest accumulates each month, but your adjusted SAVE plan payment is only $30, then you won't have to pay the remaining $20. So, no. The SAVE plan does not stop interest from accruing. You'll just pay less interest each month without racking up more debt. The Education Department estimates borrowers on the SAVE plan will see their total payments drop by 40%, with a typical graduate saving nearly $2,000 a year. With your Verify, I'm Brandon Lewis. This is where it begins. There's a lot happening here, a lot at stake, and it's all right here. Four teams were arrested for having three guns at a high school football game. All three guns had Glock switches. It's a story you'll only see right here on Tin TV. If they have it attached to a weapon, that weapon goes to a fully automatic weapon. This is Columbus, our city, our home. Your news team at 6, 10 TV, Central Ohio's news leader. When you're high, you feel different. You think different, you talk different, you draw different, you listen to music different, but you probably knew that. Problem is, you also drive different, and not in a good way. That's why driving high is illegal everywhere. So if you're high, just don't drive. Make a plan to get a sober ride. Because if you feel different, you drive different. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. I didn't ask to be thrown in the streets with nowhere to go, but I did ask for help, and Covenant House was there for me. One in ten young adults will experience a form of homelessness this year. For these kids who didn't ask to be put in this unthinkable situation, Covenant House is there, providing hot meals, a safe place to sleep, medical care, and love. They just really genuinely just wanted to help me succeed, and I'm succeeding. To learn more, go to safeplacetosleep.org today. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Lindsay Mills, courtesy of 10TV. 
years ago, Martin Luther King Jr. cast a dream from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, one of equality and freedom. It was that speech in front of 250,000 people that became a defining moment for the country's civil rights movement. Across the nation, people are looking back and looking forward during celebrations and gatherings. For some who were there that day, the speech will never be forgotten. To be honest, it was the first time I saw a group of Anglo-Saxons or white people, however we address what's proper, supporting us. And it was my first time realizing all white people were not against black people. So it was a joyous occasion for me to participate. Okay. Um, do you remember the speech in any line? That you I have a resonate? dream and one day, just one day, I will reach the mountaintop and all of God's children, black, white, Jews, Gentile, will all be one. My colleague, 10TV anchor Andrew Kinsey, spoke exclusively with Dr. King's youngest child, Dr. Bernice King. We spoke earlier about their conversation. Andrew, thank you for joining me. Let's chat about your sit-down with Dr. Bernice King, the daughter of Martin Luther King Jr. In recent years, we've seen what some would say an erosion of democracy here in the U.S. Did she weigh in on that? Yeah, Lindsay, let's first say that, wow, what an honor to be able to sit down with the daughter of a civil rights icon, a leader, to be able to glean some of that history directly from uh, the DNA of the civil rights icon, Dr. King. Uh, Bernice King, in her own rights, continuing her father's legacy uh, in recent years, most recently, we've seen the overturning of Roe v. Wade. We have seen these book bans and some restrictions on voting rights. She weighed in on that and said that, yes, there is a reason to be concerned. Listen. You should not lose hope that just because, you know, these bans have happened, you know, just because the way the Supreme Court, court ruled um, that um, we have to resign ourselves. You know, we can find innovative, creative ways and we can continue to exercise you know, our rights as a, as a citizen of this these United States, our right to vote and elect people to office, you know, who we believe are going to do the thing, what's right um, um, by uh, people who are impacted by these issues. Um, and so it, we got a lot of work to do and we must remain vigilant. So we're talking 1963, the March on Washington. It was a march for jobs and freedom. That is when uh, Dr. King delivered that I Have a Dream speech. It was for jobs, equality. So here we uh, come, rather, on the 60th anniversary of that speech. A quarter of a million people there in Washington, D.C., to take place to hear this uh, encouraging message. Uh, where do we stand now, 60 years later? That is what she also weighed in on and what she wants to see 70 years or mm. 80 years after that speech, the changes that she hopes that our country will make um, in regards to violence, equality, not only just at the voting box, but also at the banks for minorities and black and brown people in this country. So, yes, she says in her interview with me that, yes, we've come some ways, but there's still a ways to go. Wow. 60 years. Yes. 60 years. And what were you most um, looking forward to to asking her in your conversation? What did you hope to learn from her? Well, why? Why still do, do this some yeah. 60 years later? You know, uh, Bernice was a, uh, an infant when her father was assassinated. Um, she's a minister. She's an attorney. Why continue this legacy? Why is it so important? And she said, because it's in her DNA. She said that she cannot sit idle and stand by when so many have given so much for not only her, but for others to be where we are today. So she feels that it is her duty to continue her father's legacy in the way that she is.
Andrew, thank you so much for sharing your conversation with Dr. Bernice yeah. King. My we pleasure. appreciate it. Governor Mike DeWine announced a new leader of One Ohio Recovery Foundation. I have selected Alicia Nelson for this role. Alicia Nelson is the first executive director of the foundation. Ohio Recovery was started in 2017 when then Attorney General DeWine filed a lawsuit against the drug companies in response to the opioid epidemic. The foundation oversees distribution of the state's opioid settlement money. A total of eight settlements and $1.8 billion have been reached and all are expected to be paid out over the next decade. The trustees for The Ohio State University named the school's 17th president, filling its vacancy as students started their fall classes. Walter Ted Carter Jr. comes to Columbus from the University of Nebraska. Like OSU, a Midwestern land grad university with a large medical center. This has been the most amazing, humbling experience to be welcomed by this campus, by this community, by this state. Uh, Lynn and I couldn't be more excited. Uh, Ohio State University offers the opportunity to be the very best in higher education, and I'm honored to be a small part of it. Carter is a veteran having trained at the Navy Fighter Weapons School, now known as Top Gun. He holds the national record for carrier landings with over 2,000 touchdowns. Before moving to Lincoln, Nebraska, he served as the head of the U.S. Naval Academy. Carter led the University of Nebraska to a record-setting increase among underrepresented students, including a financial aid program for low- and middle-income students. He spoke this week about the importance of diversity at Ohio State. You know, if we are going to be open to bringing all walks of life and educate them, let them grow emotionally, physically, socially at an institution like this, they're ready to be good citizens. We want to have a diverse campus. And that's much, much more than what the, the, the color of skin or what ethnicity somebody is. I'm looking for diversity of thought and diversity of people to elevate this campus. And if we can find success across all walks of our student body, then we will have achieved something that really is inclusive. Carter begins his new role on January 1st. Executive Vice President Peter Moeller will serve in an acting capacity until then. Still to come, the new way to watch an Ohio State football game, and it's not just here on Channel 10. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. Several verified viewers have reached out to us about this ad they've seen recently on TV. Senate Bill 1838 would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. But is that true? Is Congress considering a bill that would end credit card rewards? Let's verify. Our sources are the text of Senate Bill 1838 and various trade groups lobbying for and against the bill, including the Merchants Payments Coalition and the Electronic Payments Coalition. When you buy something with a credit card at a store, no matter who your bank is, most of the time the transaction is processed by either Visa or MasterCard. They charge the store a fee for that processing. This new bill is titled the Credit Card Competition Act, and the stated aim is to help those stores pay less in fees. To do that, it would require that banks accept at least one processor for their cards other than Visa and MasterCard. 
then the stores would have a choice of who they want to process with, creating more competition and potentially lowering costs for the businesses. Many business groups are strongly in favor of the proposal, saying processing costs have skyrocketed in recent years. But the companies that manage transactions are strongly opposed and have funded ads like the one we showed you earlier. They say forcing more processing options could lead to stores using less secure networks. And they say that the lost fees will eventually be passed on to consumers via higher interest rates or cutbacks on rewards. But the bill wouldn't in any way mandate such cutbacks. In fact, rewards are not mentioned, even tangentially, anywhere in the bill. So we can verify, no, Congress is not considering a bill to end credit card rewards. If the bill were to pass, it's unclear how that might eventually affect consumers. With your Verify, I'm Casey Decker. At first glance, Terrence and Shania have nothing in common. Terrence is a musician. He is constantly traveling. He's 32 years old, single with no kids, and started smoking when he was 16. Shania, on the other hand, just turned 45. She owns a coffee shop. She is married with two kids and has never smoked. What makes Terrence and Shania similar is that they both have been diagnosed with small cell lung cancer, and it was caught early. That's right. Small cell lung cancer can affect anyone. The good news is early lung cancer screenings can detect small cell lung cancer before it spreads, when the disease is most treatable. Join Stand Up to Cancer and Jazz Pharmaceuticals to raise awareness of small cell lung cancer and accelerate the pace of research. Ask your healthcare provider about screening options that might be right for you or a loved one. Visit standuptocancer.org to learn more. Every two minutes, a woman in the U.S. is diagnosed with breast cancer. And in that split second, her life changes forever. The toll of breast cancer is great. The need to support those who are battling the disease today is even greater. We're fighting alongside patients because we know one moment can change a lifetime. United by hope, we can end breast cancer. Join our fight. Save lives. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Lindsay Mills, courtesy of 10TV. Buckeye fans will have plenty of opportunities to cheer on their team and make some cash, too. Sportsbooks are now open for the first time during football season. The odds for Ohio State winning the college football playoffs this season are 7 to 1. Sports Obsessed Ohio is already betting by the millions. If the betting trend continues, the state will crush projections for the rest of the year. And I'm joined now by Consumer 10's Clay Gordon, who has extensively covered the um, Ohio introduction of sports betting. Clay, this is something you followed Mm -hmm. from its beginning. From the business side of things, are they doing better than expected? Good morning, Lindsay. Thanks for having me here on Face of State. And really, it all started back on January 1st. That's when the first bets could legally be placed. And since we were showing the Buckeye footage there, I don't know if you recall this, but December 31st was the game, the semifinal game against Georgia. Uh, It came down to the stroke of midnight when Ohio State just lost. That being said, we were just moments away from possibly being able to bet on the Buckeyes at the beginning of this year if they went to the national championship that they never actually made it. Uh. So then that means all Buckeye fans had to kind of root for March Madness. So sports books, bars, they were all looking for March Madness next. So from the business perspective, that was the next step. We were hoping it was for the Buckeyes for football, but we have to wait till this upcoming season. So what we have learned is Ohioans bet big on the first month alone, $1.1 billion wagered in the first month. So again, $1.1 billion in the first month of this. 
But it has settled down since then. Uh, the last numbers that we got from the Casino Control Commission are June numbers, mm -hmm. and it has settled down to $350 million wagered in the month of June. Oh, big difference from when Huge it first difference. rolled out. Yeah. So obviously, shiny toy yeah. at the start of the year, and it's kind of dulled out a little bit. Gotcha. Probably more losers than winners here, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's follow the money. Where is that, that money going? Where is that revenue going? So I mentioned that 350 in the month of June alone, but we have the totals now up in until the end of June. So totally, Ohio has gambled $3.8 billion to date, which is a lot of money. That's triple the amount from that first month. And the state does not get it all. So we're going to get into the weeds here for a second. Mm -hmm. So $539 million of that is actually tax taxable. Mm -hmm. So from $3.8 billion to $539 million. So really small number compared to what has been wagered back and forth here in Ohio. So then Ohio law initially had 10% of that going back to taxes, and that would be about $53 million. So you can see the numbers are keeping, you know, slowly, slowly going mm -hmm. down. So after paying all the fees, 98% of that $53 million would go towards schools and a fund called the Sports Gaming Profits Education Fund, and then only 2% of that goes to the Problem Gambling Support Fund to help with resources for um, people that are going through tough times with sports gambling. And the biggest headline, I think, from the summer after the legislature passed some new bills is is that the taxes have changed from 10%, mm -hmm. as I initially stated, to now it is 20%. So Ohio should be getting some more revenue because of these taxes. But again, that's coming up on August 31st. All right, Clay, thanks so much for that information. And that's it for us today. Thank you for joining us on Face the State. I'm Lindsay Mills. We'll see you right back here next week. That's again Lindsay Mills, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS-10TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10TV. The next disaster is coming. The time to get ready is now. Make a plan. Choose meetup locations and keep a contact list. Build a kit with food and water. Don't forget your pets. Keep extra medicine on hand. Make copies of key documents and keep them somewhere safe. Stay informed, learn about local hazards, and sign up for alerts. Be ready. Learn more at americares.org slash send us in. Right now, our country feels divided, but there's a place where people are coming together. I got to tell you, I was nervous to talk to someone so different than me. Me too, but I'm glad we are. Love Has No Labels and One Small Step are helping people with different political views, beliefs, and life experiences come together through conversation, and it feels good. Wow, your story is so... Uh, Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> When people actually sit down, talk, and listen to one another, they can break down boundaries and connect as human beings. At lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step, you can listen to amazing, life-changing conversations and find simple tools to start a conversation of your own. I know one thing. This conversation gives me hope. It gives me a lot of hope, too. Take a step toward bringing our country and your community together by having the courage to start a conversation at lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step. A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels, and the Ad Council. 
Need to visit the Ohio BMV? Go online first. It could save you a trip. It's now easier and more convenient than ever to get what you need from the BMV online. Need to renew your driver's license? Renew online. And if you need to renew your vehicle registration, visit one of our new BMV Express kiosks or go online. If you do need to visit a BMV agency, use the Get In Line online tool, also found on the website, to save your spot and minimize your time waiting. For more services available online, check out bmv.ohio.gov. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and on the phone with me is Tom Camber, Executive Director of Oats AARP. It's uh, Older Adults Technology Services, a charitable affiliate of AARP. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me today. Thanks for talking to us. Tell us what Oats is. Oats is a, a nonprofit affiliate of AARP, and we provide technology training and programs for people over 50 all over America, uh, both online and in person through different kinds of free classes. Okay, and uh, one of the things that what we're going to talk about is a focus on trying to make sure that older adults are prepared for disasters. That's right. So what we're, what we're learning here is uh, we did a study uh, recently looking at how older folks were using technology to be re- ready for disasters, and the results have come back, and um, frankly, they're quite alarming. There are uh, a majority of older folks are not using uh, the technology resources that are available to make disaster plans and be ready in case of emergencies. You know, it's interesting because uh, the whole technology thing is uh, there are a lot of people. I mean, I still know somebody that has an old flip phone, an older older person. There are people that are just unbelievably behind technology-wise. That's right. We're finding that a lot of uh, older Americans are still kind of late adopters in the technology world, and I have plenty of friends and, and neighbors that um, are, are pretty resistant to some of the newer tech, and they may use a real old flip phone. But frankly, you know, one the first thing to get to understand is that um, older Americans can learn the technology if they want to. The resources are available for people, and older people have no problem learning the tech and adopting it if the uh, if the desire is there. So one of the things we're trying to do is make sure people understand the value of adopting the technologies. Even having a flip phone is better than having no flip phone in case of an emergency because you can dial 911 on an old flip phone and you'll still get through. Yeah, that's true. Uh, As we speak, uh, Hurricane Adalia is coming ashore in Florida. And, you know, there have been a lot of stories lately about how many older adults live alone, single. And, you know, if you're not plugged into media and what's going on in the world, and you live, you know, a little bit inland from that, but still in a danger zone, you could be in real trouble without even realizing it. That's right. Uh, many of the, these uh, disasters are somewhat predictable with things like hurricanes, where, where at least there's weather reporting about them. But as the, uh, the wildfire in Hawaii recently demonstrated, regardless of where we live, a disaster can strike with almost no warning where you only have a matter of minutes uh, to get uh, notification. And ARP research shows that as many as one out of every five older adults is uh, socially isolated. And there's a lot of research that shows that uh, older people are disproportionately uh, injured or even uh, killed in, uh, in natural disasters where uh, the, uh, the notification factors and the ability to be plugged into those social networks is uh, reduced just because of the patterns of, of uh, you know, social connections. 
So are there apps or, or just uh, steps that older folks or, or anybody who's not plugged into this sort of thing need to know about or should know about? Absolutely. That, that's probably my, my principal message today. You know, as, as we get older, uh, we all have to do a little bit of over-engineering or over-building of some of our uh, resilience resources, right? So, uh, you know, if you're going to live in, a, in, a, in your home and stay, stay independent, uh, we need to build up some of those um, tools around ourselves. And the technology apps are fantastic resources for this. Uh, unfortunately, only one out of 10 of uh, every uh, older adult that responded to this survey says they're using the online apps. Uh, and we've set up a, a website here, aarp.org slash disaster prep. Uh, and if a person uh, visits that site, it's aarp.org slash disaster prep, they can uh, take a quiz, uh, learn what kinds of apps may be most appropriate for them. Uh, most people are really benefiting right now from the FEMA and the American Red Cross apps that provide all sorts of custom resources and tools for notification and planning and even resilience if something happens to you. Uh, and then there's uh, quite a few other resources and tools available that people can use uh, to uh, increase their chances of, of making it through these disasters. Talking with Tom Camber, he is with OATS, which is the uh, Older Adults Technology Services. And this is just going to become more and more of a problem as the population ages. I mean, the boomers are as they hit retirement age and beyond. That's right. The, you know, they, they talk about this longevity revolution, and it, it's happening, you know, uh, as we speak. But, of course, it's, it's a demographic change, so it's slower. But the population is aging, and it will continue to age. And, and frankly, that's good news. Uh, we all want to live longer. Uh, we want to stay healthy, and we're able to live independently. So uh, even a few generations back, it would be surprising to meet an 85-year-old uh, that was independent and active and, and able to take care of their, their home. But today that's commonplace. And so we're, uh, we're fortunate to be able to live longer, but we have to plan for that independence in those longer years and make sure we've got these tools. So having ourselves signed up uh, for some of the disaster preparedness resources and also doing things like planning for how to handle our prescription medications. Do you have extra medications on hand in case uh, there is a period where you can't get to the pharmacy? Uh, do you have your documents saved digitally in case of a fire when you can't access your driver's license or birth certificate or health information? All of these tools help us uh, maintain our, our successful independent lives as we get older, and they're essential to, to take advantage of today. Just a moment or so to go with Tom Camber from Oats. You know, I have a theory uh, about uh, just to, based on my own life when it comes to keeping up with technology, because back in the 80s with VCRs, I used to love to get one of those, a brand new one, and figure out how it worked. And when I got in my 40s and early 50s, it became less interesting because of reading glasses. If you don't have glasses handy to read the fine print in the manual, you begin to lose interest in that stuff. <laughs> And as our bodies are changing, uh, the kinds of technology that we start to really gravitate toward will change as well. So I wear glasses as well, and I can tell you I, I tend to uh, probably read the screens a little bit less than I, than I would have when I was younger. Um, but some of the other technology tools become even more useful. So now people are using you know, Amazon Alexa, or they're using uh, a wearable uh, device that helps them with uh, their you know, monitoring their fitness activities. Um, I use a digital blood pressure monitor at home, which is incredibly helpful. Uh, which I never would have used when I was younger, as you can imagine. But I think what we do is we sort of adapt to new technology user patterns as we go to get older. And what's important is that we just keep actively making those decisions so that we're choosing the right things for ourselves at each stage.
Tom, uh, if folks want more information, where do they find it online? The best place to start now is aarp.org forward slash disaster prep. We've set up a whole bunch of resources on there, including a quiz that will walk people through some pretty basic questions. It takes about seven minutes to do the quiz, just to ask sort of what you've got in place and and whether uh, you may need some of these resources online. And then there's a list, uh, link it to all the resources that we reference on that page. So if you start with aarp.org forward slash disaster prep, you'll be able to get started and make a plan within, you know, even an hour of prep will put you a lot ahead of the curve uh, from what if you hadn't done anything. Tom Camber, Executive Director of OATS, Older Adults Technology Services. It's an affiliate of AARP. Thanks so much for the information today. Thanks for having us here to have this really important conversation. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. Heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM. That's 1460 ESPN Columbus. And Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.